Welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel, and on this show, we explore the survivor's journey, practitioners making a difference, and the therapeutic treatments and transformational technology that allow the body to heal itself. Witness the inspiration we gain by navigating the human experience with grace, humility, and a healthy dose of mistakes. Because part of being human is being beautifully broken. Ladies and gentlemen, today we'll be speaking with Dr. Panice Jaspi from Therium Metabolic Testing. They are doing some incredible work with MIT, partnering with the Mayo Clinic, collaborations with Penn State College of Medicine and Baylor Medicine. They are leaning into the statement that you are unique. Everyone is different. Not everybody needs the same supplement. Not everyone should do magnesium or a particular intervention. And what's good for one person might be really bad for another. And so they are interested not in selling you supplements, but in giving you a path, a path to go forward using advanced metabolomic testing. Imagine if we could measure the metabolites the downstream materials of all the cells in your body. Imagine if we could have a score on our brain, on our liver, on our biological age, our mitochondria, inflammation, cardiovascular health, nutrition, gut mutations. It goes on and on and on. And so I'm really excited about this platform. I would love you to listen in. The other thing that really just blows my skirt up, if I were to wear a skirt, is this idea that we can take all this information and use this evolving, I think, very promising field of AI, and we can create digital twins or a digital replica of you. And what happens if we increase Friday's protein by 10 grams a day in six months? What happens if we change my sleeping windows? What happens if my methylation pathway is supported through B vitamins or I add in blueberries? It's going to get really, really exciting in this marketplace. So I'm excited for you to check it out. You can go to Therio.me. The link is in the show notes. You can use code BEAUTIFULLYBROKEN for a discount, and you can look at what all the metabolic activity of your cells are doing, and you can get a better picture of where your health is at and how you might turn the steering wheel into a better direction. I hope you find this stuff exciting. I will tell you, this interview was interrupted by the internet. So we got about 40 minutes and then I caught up with Dr. Jaspi live to do a little finishing round of questions and got some insight on his view of the field of precision medicine. Let's tune on in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beautifully Broken Podcast. We are sitting down today with Dr. Panis Jaspi. Panis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Freddie. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for all the topics we'll get to discuss today. I am too. What an exciting barrel of monkeys we're about to open (laughs) as far as the work that you are doing in the world. If you could tell us, if we were to pass on the street and you were to tell me what you do, how would you describe yourself, your work in the world? Yeah, definitely. So when people ask me what I do, I always say scientist. And they're a little bit like, we need like lab coat and like like scientific instruments. And like, yeah, that's actually exactly what I do. I don't say doctor because then that means physician, right? They're thinking of like, you know, like I see people and administer medicine to patients. And that's obviously not what I do. I tell them when they ask, you know, and eventually, okay, what kind of scientist? Or they have a follow-up question. I always tell them I'm the, you know, CSO of a, a biotech. And we're looking to revolutionize the paradigm in health testing, both for immediate gains in health monitoring 
and patient assessment, as well as more long-term distal gains in research and scientific innovation, which can be realized as we sort of create this critical mass of multi-omics data from all over the country and throughout time. Amazing. Describe for me, if you will, if I'm a, if a person, and I say, wait a second, that all sounded pretty clear, except for when you said the phrase multi-omics data. You lost me. I don't know what that is. Sure, sure. So the omic sciences, and it seems like as a researcher in this field, every day there's a new omic that pops up, and they're usually related to you know some subset of the currently established omic sciences. And by omics, we're referring to the sciences that end in ohm, omic sciences, and um, those are the genome, genomics. You know, investigating the proteome, proteomics. They are the complete set of their respective prefixes. So we talk about genomes, we talk about the complete set of DNA and genetic instructions within an organism or biological system. Same thing goes to proteome, all proteins, all post-translational modifications of those proteins, all isoforms, etc. We have the microbiome, which is the complete set of microbes. And so these are the omic sciences. And when we talk about multi-omic testing, what we're talking about is essentially this concept of deep molecular fingerprinting, where we get data on customers' genomics, transcriptomics, those are all the RNAs, the proteomics, the microbiome, as well as the uh, metabolome. And that's where my focus really is as far as my, my own research career. Um, I specialize in mass spectrometry-based metabolomics. Mass spectrometry-based means that I happen to mostly utilize mass spectrometry, although I have some tangential experience with other platforms. We mostly utilize mass spectrometry for the sensitive and specific detection of your metabolome, which is, again, your complete set of metabolites, the end products of your metabolism. And so they are the end products of all the biochemical processes that happen within you. And there's, you know, advances and, and drawbacks and, you know, there's pros and cons to every level of systems biology. But when we tie them together, we integrate these levels for an individual. What we get is a deep molecular fingerprint, which is a multi-omic assessment. We use more than one level of an omic science. And by doing that, we sort of mitigate all the shortcomings that are inherent in any individual level of omic sciences, because you know whatever you know shortcomings the genome has in analyzing the genome, the metabolome largely and and the levels downstream largely mitigate. And by doing this, we create the most comprehensive. And it, by by that I mean it's really hard to imagine how you could you know assess a human being's biology any further if you have all levels of these biology and you just start growing the panels. And we get this incredible coverage of human health when you compare it to what's traditionally measured using, you know, a multifaceted array of diagnostic techniques, complete blood counts, organic amino acids tests, a lipid panel, et cetera, et cetera. Then you have the imaging techniques and everything that goes on top of it. What we're proposing is a true multiomic shift in how we assess people's health. And by layering this data, we can not only give them more specific, tailored recommendations and usher in this, you know, new era of personalized medicine. You know, how do we achieve that personalization? It's, it's through this deep phenotyping. 
And then what we do is, you know, we, we use our data, we analyze it, and we leverage it for continued scientific discovery and insight. So not only can it be used for an immediate vertical advancement of patient care that we can realize today, but throughout time, this sort of data will lend to changes in, you know, how we investigate potential causal mechanisms. It will inform funding mechanisms on what types of research on what topics should be prioritized. And we will become a more directed and efficient research enterprise as a whole community of scientists. Yeah, that's very exciting. There's a million questions that I have popping up. I mean, anywhere from what are the limitations in today's traditional diagnostic workup? If I go to my general practitioner, we'll typically maybe once a year, we'll look at our blood profile or CBC, and maybe there's something off and we'll do a little uh, deeper dig than that. But other than that basic panel, we really don't do a lot until there's a problem. So I've always seen the need for identifying signatures or patterns in the disease process well before they materialize in a tumor or late stage dysfunction, which takes away quality of life. What is the driver that's made you so passionate about looking at multiomics data? What, do you have a personal experience? Is there something that like really just lit your fire as far as you understanding the research and the potential? Yeah, what motivated me? It's a great question. And I wish I had some sort of like deep founders like story to tell you. And and I have had people in my life pass away from early disease. I have had people in my wife's life, very dear to her, really go from diagnosis to passing away in a matter of months. I've had those experiences, but I can't say it's it's really what lit a, a fire under me and, and made me go, okay, enough's enough. So me and, and my co-founder, uh, Dr. Alex Moore, during our doctoral training together, which we, we were in the same doctoral program, you know, he is a, is a microbiome specialist and he does some amazing work on the microbiome, especially the gut athletic microbiota, as well as nutritional interventions for gut health. He's an excellent human being, a fantastic co-founder and a really stellar, truly exceptional scientist. And we had always realized that this is kind of where it's going. There would be these vague like opinion papers we would read from, you know, fully tenured professors who we admired and respected and would go to conferences with and, you know, have dinners with and talk about these topics. But when we noticed we would talk to them, it was always sort of like this, oh, one day. And the one day idea was really growing making us weary because we we looked back at the literature and we tried to figure out like where was the provenance of such an idea um, really first formed? Like what is the seminal founding literature? And metabolomics is a science. It goes back to, you know, June or August of, of 1998, I think, summer of 1998, when uh, a very esteemed, probably the founder of metabolomics, Professor David Wishart, used the term in one of his publications. But the actual ideas and underpinnings we can trace back to a 1972 publication that was entitled Analytical Chemistry, uh, Gas Chromatography, and Computer for Personalized Medicine. I mean, computers were so nascent back in the day that the title said, and computer for personalized medicine. So we read it through and it was essentially the blueprint of so much, not all, but so much of what we want to do at Therial, which is to say, we have the tools. These tools aren't available in your hospital system. Well, some hospital systems, if you go to the Mayo Clinic, they do have a metabolomic score. They do have a genomic score. They do these kinds of testing, but it's usually reserved for incredibly you know, privileged pockets of healthcare or academia. 
And our idea was, and, and there's a reason they're not in doctor's offices or, or most hospital offices. First of all, there is a difficulty in understanding so much data. When your physician does the CBC or the OAT, they have personal experience in pedagogy and fueling their understanding and interpretation of that data. They're not using AI algorithms that have been sort of modeled from mind data in databases and studies that have been curated. What we're doing is we're saying, listen, this is so much data. It's a vast amount of data that nobody can really model sort of intuitively in their head like they can the sparse information that they get from you know CBC and OAT, which they're used to through decades often of medical training. But what we have is this AI that can analyze this data, corroborate it with known disease signatures, and then return and do some of that thinking for the physician. It's of course not a diagnosis, but it can lead to really meaningful discussions and identify more probable routes of investigation for your physician if you're, for a lot of our customers who are suffering from you know, ambiguous symptoms. For us, it really became, we need to do this quickly because there's such a missed opportunity here. We have the, you know, it used to be in 1972 and in 1998 that we didn't have the computational power to really do this kind of work. We did not have the computational power to do Bayesian statistics. We didn't have the computational power to perform, you know, sort of out of the box AI uh, services for our customers. And now we do. We didn't have the wealth of databases that are fueling, you know, our inferences and our interpretation of customer data. This had to be curated from its inception of these sciences up to modern day, which are still updated. And, and most of the you know, greatest academic groups are working on maintaining and updating those databases with more recent and more important uh, findings. We also have this idea that, you know, although we don't have these, you know, sort of great stories of loss, even though we've experienced loss due to delayed medical care, you know, the idea of healthcare isn't really caring for health. As you mentioned, most people are treating symptoms when they appear. They don't have the tools to really identify themselves at the molecular level, identify pathogenesis, you know, sort of before they become symptomatic. So really, we don't have his healthcare. We have this, you know, post hoc sick care that is just trying to treat sick people. And this idea of medicine 3.0 is truly to usher in the idea of healthcare, whereby people are taking proactive assessments. People are taking preventive measures rather than therapeutic measures. And so a tool like, you know, Ethereum and, you know, currently we have one systems level biology test available, the Aristotle. We're working our way up to the second one, which will be available in the next couple of months. And we will expand to the full suite of systems biology testing. And I, and I hope it'll get to a point where one day, sort of every aspect of a person can be known, anticipated, and hopefully corrected and mitigated for through you know, easy things like diet and lifestyle, which are so much easier to implement than you know, chemotherapy. Yeah, I think it's what you mentioned there is the idea that we can have these early stage interventions in which... 10 years before the disease process, the lifestyle interventions would have a cumulative effect. So if we mention the test that you're talking about, it's Therium. Can you speak to how this test works? It brings in all these sciences of multi-level omics, the different levels of data, the protein expressions, the genome, the microbiome, and we get this really we get a new level of insight on health or wellness or vitality that we've never had before. Can you speak a little bit about the test and how it works? Sure, absolutely. So the test itself, the Aristotle test, which is named after Aristotle as he was really the first person to commit to writing some nascent theory of metabolism. But we named it the Aristotle and it is essentially a targeted 
aqueous metabolite panel. So it's looking at the aqueous metabolites, and these are the sort of housekeeping metabolites, or you would be known as sentinel metabolites. They're called sentinel metabolites because they largely are embedded in the most important pathways, human pathways. So these are embedded in pathways that are indicative of human health, as well as indicative of early stage progression of diseases that are you know, the greatest contributors to human mortality or morbidity, like heart disease or cancers or Alzheimer's. And what we do is once you order the Aristotle test, we ship you a dry blood spot kit. You take the sample in the comfort of your own home and with just a few drops of blood uh, onto our uh, proprietary filter paper, which maintains metabolite integrity and and helps us in ensuring the fidelity of our results through shipping and processing, um, you send back to our labs. Once we get it in our labs, we uh, undergo uh, sample processing. Processing is basically where we separate the metabolites from the filter paper using various processes such as homogenization, sonication, uh, and then centrifugation. What we also do is we precipitate all the proteins um, because we, we don't analyze proteins in this test yet. One day we'll get to doing a full proteomics assay, but right now we can sort of analyze proteins or infer to the protein level using metabolite concentrations, but we're not directly measuring proteins. So we precipitate those proteins in our sample processing and we keep the metabolites in an aqueous layer, which then undergoes analysis by gas chromatography, mass spectrometry. And that's what I've abbreviated previously in our talk to GCMS. GCMS, gas chromatography, mass spectrometry, is a technique whereby we analyze, we separate uh, these metabolites and we look at their relative abundances. And we do that along two dimensions. First, um, we separate them based on what's known as a retention time, which is the time that a molecule takes, let's say ibuprofen or caffeine. There's a time that these molecules will take for interacting with this column we have. There's a chromatography column that you know is sort of, you know your molecules are riding on a stream of helium in that column. And there's a certain amount of time that each molecule will take to attach to the inside of the column, uh, the mobile phase of the column, interact with and then dissociate from and then keep going down to the column. And that time that they interact with that column is dependent on their chemical structure. Certain chemical classes will interact more or less with others. And so we separate them on the time it takes to elute from the column. And then we analyze their mass to charge ratio, essentially their molecular weight, uh, their molecular mass using the mass spectrometer, which sort of filters different, it sort of analyzes a certain mass to charge uh, range for every single retention time. Thereby, we get this incredible specificity by using two-dimensional separation techniques, by using gas chromatography prior to our mass spectrometry, because uh, although some molecules may fragment and have the same you know, mass-to-charge ratio in the mass spectrum, it is incredibly unlikely that they would have the same retention time. And so we know the retention times and mass to charges of all of our 126 panel uh, metabolites. We've tested this with standards and compared them to bank spectra in you know uh, databases like the human metabolite database. And so we know their identities based on their retention time and mass to charge characteristics. And then we can quantitate the relative abundances using sort of the, we get these peaks, right, for every metabolite. And we can quantitate them using the abundance under that peak or the area that's contained under that peak. And so we then take those levels of 126 metabolites and um, we analyze them using our proprietary AI. And that analyzes your data according to first 12 health domains. And these are including everything from cardiovascular health, liver health, gut health, 
These are health domains and models that we validated from mind data. So these are scientifically validated findings uh, in you know in peer-reviewed uh, journals with you know publicly available data that we've mined and we've created a validated model for each one of these health domains, liver health, gut health, integumentary health, reproductive score, environmental toxin exposure. And what we've done is we've said, okay, is this model overfit? And that's a real important scientific consideration. And that's something that we make sure that all of our models that we sort of infer to and, and infer using have been checked for overfitting, meaning that the data isn't too rigidly conformed to the characteristics of the training set from which it was mined meaning that the model that we formed, is it generalizable to new cases? Can we apply it to new cases or is it overfit to the training data that we have? And we make sure all of our models are not overfit and they pass the, the generalizability test and we apply them to our customers. And we actually will correct. So we, correct, we collect a lot of biopsychosocial data, including everything from you know, diet and lifestyle habits, to, uh, environmental uh, exposures, occupational health hazards, biopsychosocial factors like social connectedness or depression score. And we use this totality of information along with their metabolite scores to come up with multiplexed uh, readouts, again, across the 12 health domains. And the scores are given on a scale of zero to 10, with zero being poor, 10 being optimal, and five being neutral. And then we also corroborate that, not just with the health domains, but validated models for disease signatures, 344 disease signatures that have been characterized in the blood. And these are validated disease signatures that we corroborate using your metabolic profile. And in some instances where possible, data uh, from your clinical and demographic survey. And we generate a list of percent match. So what percent of your profile is overlapped with the known profile for phenylketonuria, or the known profile for Soto syndrome, or the known profile for thyroid cancer. And we give you a generated list. And then at the end of all that information, you get the levels of all 126 profiled metabolites individually. And you can see the levels of those metabolites. You can see the normative ranges for you know, what's considered a healthful levels. And then we give you not only a brief description of the metabolite in question and sort of something about the identity, chemical structure, some facts about how it was discovered, who discovered it, or why was it named that. And then we give you an implication of what the low values for that metabolite could mean. Because each metabolite could be low or high, and that has its own implication, regardless of, in addition to the disease signatures that are multiplex, in addition to the health domains that are assessed using anywhere from you know, six to 26 different metabolites. And we give you the levels of each one, the implications of low and high values. And depending on your specific health results, everything is cited using the most accurate, up-to-date, peer-reviewed, high-impact research. And you can look up the, the DOIs and read the articles, read the science behind what we're saying, what we're suggesting, and what we're recommending. Uh, because you do get also a list of, of health recommendations per health domain. If your aging index you know, is a eight, we might identify some factors in your clinical and demographic survey that are contributing to that and recommend you keep doing those. If your mitochondrial index is a two, we might recommend specific to your particular health profile and you know, reporting of, of health information, we might recommend a CoQ10 enzyme. We might recommend HIT training for increased mitochondrial biogenesis. These are all very personalized and based upon levels of your 126 metabolites. So in essence, what we're doing is we're giving you more information than you know, a doctor's office currently can. And we're analyzing it in a way that no human brain can. And we're giving you, in, who's in charge of your health, a sort of leg up in understanding that. 
And we're giving, if you're working with your physician in managing you know, certain aspects of your health, it gives them a head start of where to look. And as I mentioned, we're only looking at the metabolome right now, although we can look at you know, things like the genome using metabolite levels. We are building out our testing suite. So our ecosystem will soon include an at-home long-read 16S test of fecal microbiota. And we uh, have so many plans for integrating this data and giving our customers even more insights than is just available for the metabolome alone. Because this is really a gestalt principle. This is a gestalt science, meaning you know, the sum of the whole is always so much greater than the parts, right? The whole is always yeah. greater than some of the parts. And so we, we hope to include more testing levels soon. And then ultimately you will be able to get a deep molecular fingerprint from Therium and analyzed by our next generation AI. It's so exciting to hear what's coming down the pipe for hyper-personalized precision medicine. One question I have, and I'm sure other people are probably wondering, when I, because I have the experience of going through cancer and, and biotoxin illness and Lyme disease. When I go order a panel from my doctor, we take quite a bit of blood. I mean, the nurse is always like, wow, <laughs> we're going to do this. So she'll set out all these containers and we'll fill all this blood. How do we get the level of data from a couple blood spots on a piece of cardboard? Like, I know you walk me through it and there's the idea that each of these metabolites has a molecular weight. But just if you couldn't for the audience at home, because I'm like struggling with the belief system. I'm like, how is it possible to get this much better information off a smaller sample size? Yeah, absolutely. And it, I think a lot of people have this uh, sort of misconception. But you are getting testing done via bench top assays. Usually these are, you know, bioluminescent assays. These are fluorescent assays. And, and they're kind of done in the old typical way. So for each, every single Thing on your CBC. Let's say you're looking at your, you know, uh, ALT or your AST. For each one of those enzymes, you need a certain aliquot of blood. And it'll usually be because it is a sort of rough test that uses, you know, old techniques like fluorescence or let's say, you know, ELISA kits, you know, enzyme-linked assays. And so they're using a very old sort of poorly sensitive technique, super low sensitivity. And so it's not getting a hit unless the signal's pretty big. For those kinds of things, the, the range of values that they can provide are very, very high. They're like in the you know, millimolar range. And for each one, so for each one, let's say hemoglobin A1C, your cholesterol, your ALT, your AST, you need a certain aliquot of blood. And that aliquot, because again, the platform itself is not sensitive, is going to add up. So if one, two may just be you know, like 10 of your 30 parameters and you need a few other tubes to get there. What we do is a little bit different. Not only is the system we use not a sort of kit. I mean, the way they do blood tests is the whole thing is contained in this little thing. We, we, don't, we can't do that. The footprint of our machine is massive and compared to what's traditionally used at, at the clinical uh, laboratories. But the footprint of the machine is, is pretty big. And it is big because it can detect molecular weight. It separates things not based on linking them with certain reagents and then lighting up uh, and being sort of quantified. It counts them based on what is there at the molecular weight. And so we can actually get um, values that are at the picomolar or femtomolar level. And this isn't really like revolutionary or even like appreciated in science. In research and academia, if you go read our papers, we use 20 microliters of blood to do an assay on 126 metabolites and you know 14 short-chain fatty acids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, GC requires very, very little amounts. It's inherent in the system. 
Other platforms may require a little bit more, like LC, if you're using liquid chromatography, mass spectrometry, you could use about 100 milligrams of serum or plasma. But for GC, you need a very good sensitivity and we can use, you know, the separation on the column is very good so we can get just 20 microliters is necessary. And this is, you know, peer-reviewed literature and it's not that impressive to us. But what we can do is we can separate them out first on the chromatography, then on the mass spectrometry by delineating them, as I mentioned, on those two dimensions. The specificity is really great. So we're sure that one signature is not the other. And with the mass spectrometry, the sensitivity is, you know, when you look at the sensitivity of other platforms like NMR, mass spec is 10 to the sixth times more sensitive which allows us to get a wealth of information from just a few drops of blood. And I know there are entities in this space who have claimed certain other things, but those entities never published the results. Those entities were not active researchers in the field and were ultimately found of you know, fraud. But we, you know, we're researchers and scientists in the field. I have so many publications that do explain this and do use the same methodology with just 20 microliters of blood. GCMS is a hypersensitive platform. And it has its drawbacks. It's very finicky. It requires regular maintenance. It requires regular analytical validation, constant tuning. But the payoff is that we are about, we're allowed to get so many parameters from such a small drop of blood, few drops of blood. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. You mentioned uh, 344 disease signatures that you're looking at with the Aristotle test. Can you give me an example? Can we pick one that people might identify with? Like, let's say like MS. Sure. Or something like Lyme disease. You pick one that you could speak to a little bit and just tell me what we could be looking for in some of those results to identify as either action steps or how do you look at a signature like that and the metabolites coming from the body? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that like, for instance, we'll do is let's just talk about the cancers. And we have everything in here from thyroid cancer to pancreatic cancer to um, breast cancer. A lot of my own work is in cancer, so I can speak to it really easily. And most of my publications are in you know, cancer detection and the development of you know, biomarkers for uh, breast cancer and et cetera. So let's talk about cancer. Mm -hmm. One of the most telltale signatures of cancer is what's known as the Warburg effect. Of course, the investor scientists who discovered it. And the Warburg effect is essentially a process of anaerobic glycolysis, whereby the cells will increase use of certain substrates, even in the presence of, of oxygen. But that's not the important part. The important part is that we'll see disturbances in the TCA cycle intermediaries, specifically citrate and succinate. We'll see increases in oxaloacetate. What's basically important to know about these metabolites is that they're really essential for the tumor's growth and angiogenesis. So before the tumor sort of metastasizes and goes elsewhere and we find, you know, signatures of it everywhere, what it's trying to do is it's trying to recruit certain metabolites because those metabolites are really important to be the building blocks and the sort of pathogenic machinery the cancer tumor needs to build to become uh, metastasized, to sort of recruit its own blood supply and to feed itself and continue growing. So really devious but elegant process. And so by monitoring, you know, subtle but consistent elevations in some of these TCA cycle metabolites, we can sort of pinpoint and infer the progression of maybe a tumor. And it can be a, a tumor of a nonspecific origin, but a tumor nonetheless. And those, uh, you know, according to our data that we've, you know, published on, those signatures can predate stage one breast cancer even. 
So you could not even have a tumor sizable enough to be categorized as stage one, although you could have the signature up to 18 months in advance. And yeah, and so we've shown this and we also have, you know, for going to going to cancer, we also have the glutamate addiction. So there's one one thing that tumor cells love to do is they love to eat glutamate. What they do is they plug it into the TCA cycle again as an intermediary known as alpha-ketoglutarate or 2-HG. And alpha-ketoglutarate is again one of those subtle markers of elevation as the tumor starts to metabolize and consume the glutamate around it into alpha-ketoglutarate, that ratio between glutamate and alpha-ketoglutarate, if again, indicated through time and sustained, could be a you know, warning sign of another set of particular cancers. And we do the same thing with Alzheimer's. I have, you know, research in Alzheimer's now, um, a few publications, a couple of publications, looking at Alzheimer's progression from uh, normal controls with no evidence of disease, high pathology controls with, you know, plaques and tangles consistent with Alzheimer's, but no symptomology. Those diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, so they have the plaques and tangles and some symptomology, but it's consistent with aging. It's consistent with age-related decline in cognition. And then we have Alzheimer's disease, which is the full set. And by constructing our studies and getting from biobank samples that are from these known individuals with their associated clinical and demographic data, we're able to build these models and validate these models and show that palmitic acid and its increases are linear between these groups. And steric acid is the same way. As you know, the pathogenesis and symptomology increases, they ratchet up levels of these palmitic acids. And so when we combine not just one or two or three, but 10 or more metabolites into a model for a specific disease, you can see it gives us a very hypersensitive and hyperspecific signature for that disease. So although one metabolite may be implicated in more than one cancers, the whole slew of metabolites in that model is specific necessarily to that type of cancer that we're profiling. Yeah. How, oh my God, I have so many questions for you. It's not even funny. I have like 20, 20 on the deck. How does this information change recommendations downstream? So I'm on the train track. I see that 15 years out, it's very possible the metabolites in my system indicate a terrain that would usher in some type of cancer. What level of interventions does the test, if it does, offer us? Yeah, so the levels of interventions, it really depends on you. We, <laughs> we have some clients who are like observing like a purely carnivorous diet, purely carnivorous and uh, high fat. And they come to us with like, you know, symptoms of like persistent IBD and diarrhea. And so we, we look at them and we say, okay, your, your nutritional index was a two, your, <laughs> your gut health was a two, and your liver health isn't doing so well either. We recommend a balanced, um, given your responses and your self-reported diet and, and what you're observing, we recommend switching to a balanced omnivorous diet. We recommend using, you know, instead of your, he was using, you know, tons of seed oils. He was using tons of canola oil. We recommended switching to olive oil. We recommended some other um, things down the line. And he goes, well, this is really basic stuff. And we explained to him that, you know, health is a sort of scaffold and you have to get level one stuff down, right? Before we start recommending level two, three, four stuff. And so we have had some people who come in and we've recommended very specific types of hormone therapies that could be good for their reproductive score. And that's because they have reported doing pretty much everything that guidelines for their specific demographics say they should be following. And so they're already 
monitoring basic lifestyle and diet and supplementation guidelines. And now we can sort of offer more tailored cognitive interventions for those kinds of people for certain things. And we've recommended, uh, yeah, some stuff that, you know, is definitely under the purview of a physician. And, and we phrase it as, you know, you should definitely have a discussion with your physician and see if these sorts of, you know, let's say antidepressants might be right for you, or this sort of glucose lowering medication might be indicated for somebody with your metabolic profile. We're not um, recommending we're not giving out scripts. We don't do that. We don't sell supplements either. Like if we recommend a CoQ supplement, we you know encourage it to be USP verified and we can give you recommendations, but we're not selling it ourselves. We have no plans to sell it. We hope to really represent this sort of obelisk of objectivity where you come to us to be you know a scientific barometer on your personal health journey as you are incorporating things like cold plunge, as you're incorporating things like ozone therapy or red light therapy, these tests can be an objective measure of if you're healthy, how you're healthy and how you can improve according to the latest scientific knowledge and data. Yeah, it's really interesting. Is there a place or is there a time in which we'll be able to project out what five months of red light therapy for 20 minutes a day would look like in the mitochondria? Yeah, yes, we, we do that now, actually, somewhat. So what you're talking about is the concept of digital twinning. And it's this currently, I mean, it's a plaything of academics and researchers like me as we sort of build models and, and fiddle around with, with our code and try to make the data more useful to us. And hopefully one day, once we build out a user interactive package, it, it, this kind of method can be used in doctor's offices. But what we do is we take your total health projection. Let's say we have a customer who's tested with us three times. And on average, our customers test with us at least twice so far. And so let's say we have a customer who has tested with us three times and we have their updated clinical and demographic survey responses throughout time and their metabolic profiles. Digital twinning is the, is the idea that you take that totality of information through time on a single person and you build a sort of in silico replica of them. You build a simulation of them and you have this model that says certain amounts of daily activity or certain change in diet, or we can program it one day to say a certain level of red light therapy or duration and frequency of red light therapy. We can train it and we can see what it does to the in silico representation of you that has been built up using various bits of data collected from you through your meta metabolism, you know, in a few months in your gut health and over on down the line, we'll have your proteins, your transcriptome and your genes. And what we'll say is for a person with this genetic makeup, this sort of, you know, protein structure and, and composition, this sort of microbiome diversity and these metabolites, what would three months of an omnivorous diet look like or a carnivorous diet look like for this sort of person, given the effects we have on uh, the effects we've sort of discovered that the carnivorous diet has. And then we can replicate that and we can see what it does to you. And we actually do that in our system of recommendations. The recommendations we give to you, one person, two people might be told to eat, you know, sort of, you know, probiotic or prebiotic foods. And one person might get a totally different set of those foods than the other. And it's not through chance. It's because we have looked at the global profile. We've looked at the diets that the customer is already observing. We're trying to make our recommendations in line, not just with their current habits. So it's you know, easily assimilated into their lifestyle, but also to look at their digital twin that we've assembled and see what sort of foods are going to give this person the greatest return on investment in terms of their gut health or in terms of their liver health, whatever intervention we're 
we're recommending. For some person, it might be the use of hyaluronic acid in their skincare routine because we feel like it might improve their integumentary health score. And we've replicated that given our known interventions that have been banked and gleaned from scientific literature. And we're modeling that to, again, give you the most impactful recommendations that you can immediately use to improve your health and well-being in those domains. Amazing. So how many tests have you looked at or witnessed come through the Aristotle so far? Oh, we are somewhere between 300 and 500 tests performed. And I have had the pleasure of conducting a couple dozen of those post-test consults myself so far. And I can, you know, sort of proudly say that our customers have found this to be a deeply insightful, deeply relevant Many of our customers have followed up with their healthcare providers. One customer had a very low cardiovascular score. She considers herself very healthy. She goes in to do a calcium test in her heart and a physician tells her the score comes back zero. We've had other instances where we are seeing uh, health markers that the patient is already concerned about and may have already had discussions with the physician. And this is even adding an additional level of evidence. And so we do have regularly our patients take our, our reports to the doctors and the doctors the physicians are so accepting of this because it gives them, we're not replacing them. We're giving them just another tool in the, in the toolbox and it gives them a directed path on what to follow, what to test for. And they'll look at it and they might say, hey, you know, of your seven report disease signatures, four of them just make no sense. It doesn't even, it doesn't make sense. One disease might only be, you know, available in certain parts of Africa. You have the metabolites associated with it, but it's not relevant. But then three of those signatures, he'll go, yeah, that seems like it could be. Let's test those. And with follow-up testing and monitoring, a physician can more easily pinpoint. And you know, there's, there's a real cost to misdiagnosis, failed diagnoses, uh, untimely diagnoses. And uh, there's a real psychological burden in a lot of people who don't know what they're suffering from. And even if it's a diagnosis for which there's no treatment, knowing seems to be something that people appreciate, seems to be something that we have gotten a lot of feedback from is, I figured it was something like this. I appreciate the direction. I'm going to go do something about this, incorporate the recommendations from your report, talk to my physician. When should I retest? Three to six months, usually. So we're very proud to say that it's it's become a great toolkit for our customers and uh, for their physicians. Amazing. Yeah, it's just, it's really exciting to me. It really clears away a lot of the guesswork. The, the question I guess I, I have for you, just because I'm of the belief system that so much of early onset of illness could be an energetic signature. It could be, I mean, we can look at the work around adverse childhood events and that eventually manifesting downstream in disease. Where is the place in the data set for something like the emotional body in this test, if that's possible? Sure. I myself am a huge believer in and observer of like the psychosomatic disorders. And these are really what you're talking about. It goes back to, you know, Freud and his idea that they, some people have experienced so much shock or trauma that there's a physical manifestation of that psychological harm. And I, I absolutely think it's real. There is, however, a dearth of, uh, there's really a, a paucity of scientific results speaking to those sorts of conditions. And if those studies haven't been completed on these and those molecular fingerprints, whether at the metabolite or protein or gene level, they haven't quite been identified to the point where we can leverage them in an accurate way to give non-erroneous 
information to our customers. However, we do have psychological components uh, monitored in our in our test. For instance, depression is one of the profile disease states of the Aristotle test. Also, schizophrenia is another one. Social anxiety is one of the disease states. And we really do take a holistic approach to a lot of our health domains. For instance, our reproductive health domain is a little bit different, calculated differentially for men and women. But what we do is there are things in there, there are metabolites in there that are indicative of not just things like spermatogenesis and sperm motility or metabolites associated with egg dissension, but for instance, serotonin is in our reproductive health panel. And it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with reproduction per se, but reproduction and reproductive health does require libido and sex drive. And when you don't have serotonin, you could have a diminished sex drive. So your reproductive health is invariably affected because you are less willing or motivated to engage in reproductive behavior. So uh, a lot of our panels do have this sort of cumulative appreciation for what they represent. And so in the the context of our um, reproductive health panel, that could be monitoring metabolites associated with reproductive behavior, not just the physical act of reproduction or producing reproductive cells. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back with a Beautifully Broken podcast and Dr. Panise Jaspi. Uh, so really interesting story. I always love transparency on a podcast and, and the end of ours got interrupted. Yes. So the universe has put us live at an event together. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. Yeah. So we were kind of waxing intellectual. I was waxing intellectual. What is on your mind? What is coming up for you in the field of medicine and value of the Therium test, the Aristotle? Yeah. What's missing for you in the space? Yeah. For me and what you know, our team has noticed is there's this need to use the word precision medicine. Yeah, precision approaches, personalized health. These and all other derivatives of these terms have been overused. And there is a reason for that is because we've come to the understanding that that is what's important, Mm. that a personalized holistic approach is what is going to move the needle on health. Now, the issue is that a lot of people are going still, use, they're using the term precision medicine, but they're using very generalized recommendations. So everything that they're giving, um, their approach to health and wellness is essentially based upon what is traditionally given. So the dosages, the frequencies, the times of day, even specific medications or supplements, they're all being sort of used generically. And they've just tagged on this precision medicine thing. They think Uh, I think a lot of entities in the space believe that if we do a test, we see where they're at and we give them something to make it better, right? They sort of like analogize, I don't know, you're growing a plant, you know, you see some nutrients missing in the soil, you give it the nutrient and then it grows. And, you know, that's a good story. Uh, Unfortunately, the human body and its complexity is really nothing like a plant. We have some similar pathways, but uh, overall that we overlap maybe 10% in biochemistry. Yeah. So looking at the human body and treating it as a plant isn't going to necessarily work. Taking uh, analysis and saying, this person is low in glutathione. 
So we're going to give them glutathione or maybe we'll give them a precursor, N-acetylcysteine, and we're going to see that glutathione go up. It fails to recognize the impact and the interconnectedness of glutathione in every single metabolic pathway that it's present in. And glutathione is a ubiquitous antioxidant. So what we do, and this is sort of what precision medicine is missing, there's a missing link between testing and recommendations. And it's not enough to test and say, this is low, we're gonna give them this. That's not precision medicine. That is the standard medicine 2.0 model wrapped up with a buzzword. What we have is known as digital twinning at Therio. So when we take a customer's metabolomic profile, we profile 126 sentinel aqueous metabolites, ranging from amino acids, short-chain fatty acids, tricarboxylic acids. We model that. How do we do so? So we'll take Freddie, we'll take your data, we'll deconstruct you, do a mathematical abstraction, and we create a metabolic network with your data. And that network is mapped to the known human metabolome all the human pathways that we monitor. And we monitor 68% of all known human canonical pathways. What, what's a pathway? Mm -hmm. You have a TCA cycle, you have, the, you know, you have oxidative phosphorylation in, in the uh, electron transport chain, you have biosynthesis of amino acids, degradation of branch chain amino acids. Each one of these is indexed in various databases. It might be the small molecule pathway database, might be the Kyoto Encyclopedia of, of uh, Genes and Genomes. And these are the sort of entities that canonize a discrete metabolic pathway. And discrete in the sense that it exists on its own, not that it's not interconnected, because the whole thing is interconnected. The metabolic circuitry of the body is amazing. What we do is we take your metabolic data, we create a digital twin of Freddy, yep. right? And we simulate our interventions. So be it something like chelation agents, like DMSA or metformin, prescription medications such as those or supplements such as omega-3 uh, supplementation, CoQ10, various other versions like ubiquinol, lifestyle interventions, increased consumption of antioxidants, increased consumption of sulfur-rich or sulforaphane-rich foods, looking at exercise regimens and what the literature has shown to increase or decrease certain levels of metabolites. What we do is we take those interventions, and that's what we mean by interventions, a medication, a supplement, dietary change, exercise change, and we simulate the effects of those, as has been reported in the scientific literature, using various metrics such as effect size, directionality, alpha one level, which is, which is basically clinical significance. And what we do is we model the effects of that on your digital twin. In fact, each one of our interventions is iterated a thousand times on digital Freddy. We get an idea of here's Freddy here, here's where Freddy could be, now here's the health gap, and we're not looking at just glutathione. We're not looking at you know, your methylfolate or whatever the, the idea is. We're looking at the comprehensive metabolic network. And what we're doing is we're experimenting on Digital Freddy thousands of times with randomness built into the model because the world has randomness, compliance. Maybe we tell you to take omega-3s, you forget one day. There's a randomness factor. That's why we iterated a thousand times. We use various statistical metrics to see which on average were the most beneficial for this particular person. By experimenting on in silico, Freddy, we are able to bring in vivo, Freddy, the benefits of that experimentation, saving you the time, the cost, the opportunity cost of maybe observing other therapies or interventions in the meantime. 
So the idea is that that is what precision medicine is, is understanding the full network of someone's cellular physiology, modeling that in a very you know, advanced bioinformatics that myself and my co-founder have developed. And this digital twinning actually comes from the aerospace industry. It was developed by NASA. So when you're developing something very expensive, like a spaceship fuselage, uh, you really don't have the time or money to develop one, fabricate it, manufacture it, send it out to space, view the physical forces on it, how it stood up to it, redesign, fabricate, manufacture, retest. So what they've done in, at NASA, which is now in the last five or 10 years been adopted by research communities in, in science and medicine, is this digital twinning where you design something in silico, you test it in silico, you find its faults in silico, correct it in silico, and then fabricate it once. And it saves all that time and cost. And we do the same thing. We don't design you. We see how you are already designed. Where are you at right now? Yeah. We model that. And then we simulate the effects of every possible intervention we could give you. We see, on average, over a thousand iterations of each intervention, which one was the most beneficial. And Theorem constructs, our digital twinning platform, constructs an incredibly detailed, nuanced, bespoke health recommendation for you across 12 health domains that we yeah. monitor. Yeah, that's it. That's incredible. And so, again, for the people listening at home and you say in silicone, you mean in a computer. In silica, right. In silica. Silicon is, is what computer chips are made of. Yeah. And so when we say in silico, we mean in simulation. We create this digital model. And it's not a little digital Freddy yep. dancing in front of his red light <laughs> on our computer screen. Yeah. It's a metabolic network of your metabolism. Yeah. Every node is a metabolite in its level. Every edge is a connection between those metabolites if they appear in the same pathways. And we see this network and we see how this network changes over time if we give X intervention, Y intervention, Z intervention. And we can choose by, again, iterating each one of those a thousand times. We see which on average with built-in randomness yeah. gave you or digital you the best results. And then we leverage that insight for the real Freddie. So is the possible success of this in the marketplace, obviously, it's been played out in silica, but it is also reliant on compliance Absolutely. For, for that person taking up the intervention and really leaning into the change. Do you find that, do you visualize a timeline in which you're really going to see where you can see how this is landing with people as far as behavior change, their ability to really stick to some of these programs they're getting from the test? Absolutely. A lot of our models assume a roughly 80% compliance, which happens to be what's roughly reported in observational literature. Uh, in addition to that, we currently have a 99% success rate with satisfaction with the protocol, regardless of compliance. When people do observe it, we've had a 99, even greater than that now, nearing 99.9% as we test more and more and have increased success with this. The idea is that if they're followed, the data usually do not lie. The predictions and the simulations do not lie. We are predicting where you can be. And with compliance, we will together engineer that customer's health trajectory to where they want it to be. Using, yeah. again, this very advanced GCMS platform that detects 126 sentinel metabolites more than any other blood test on the market. Full stop. Using the most advanced bioinformatics pipeline 
currently in use in any science or research application. Uh, machine learning algorithms that are informing our uh, assessment of those 12 health domains. Then the digital twinning platform, which is the most state-of-the-art method to bridge that gap between they're low in this, should, should we give them this? Who knows? You know, it's not as simple as X is low, give them X. It, this is not a dichot. This, the, the human system is, is not such a dichotomous linear system. It is interactive. It is integrated. It is complex. And appreciating that complexity means that you have to overcome it. We can't ignore it. We can't say it's this gene, that gene, this protein, that protein. It is the total complement of your biological systems. Yeah. And that's what Ethereum uses, a systems biology approach. Yeah, this will be the test that is going to put vitamin shop out of business. <laughs> or, or, I mean, we don't sell any vitamins, right? Yes. We fundamentally believe that it's insincere to sell our customers, as we say, a test with the right hand and the supposed solution with our left hand. Yeah. Our idea is to stay completely neutral. Uh, scientifically, we are Switzerland. We do not. Great. We don't recommend anything. Our, I, our goal is to collect more data than anyone, analyze it in the most sophisticated way, more than anything that's available, and then produce recommendations that are truly personalized, truly tailored, truly based in science, and do so in a very comprehensive manner while still respecting and acknowledging the uniqueness of each individual's biology. Yeah. I guess my big question for you is when I get my test results back, are we going to go over them live? We can't. Absolutely. You can, <laughs> you, uh, you know, I, I don't do the consults anymore as I've stepped into more of the chief science officer role, but our wonderful and capable health consultant, Dr. Ortega Santos may walk you through them, or you can request me. Freddie, I'm happy to do another consult just for you. I might. And we can do it live if you're okay with it. Yeah. And we can detail what did we see? How did we see it? What do you do now? What is your best approach now? Yeah. And what questions do we have that we can help answer for you that make you more empowered on your health journey? Yeah. A couple of times in the last week, I've said numerous times that I feel like I know so much that I don't know anything anymore. Gets because that way. information overload. Information overload, but also I develop a bias. Sure. Based sure. on my, my success and did it have something to do with an intervention I was currently engaged in or was it going to unfold that way anyway? Absolutely. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm really excited to apply this data, this test. Obviously, we're on the Beautifully Broken podcast. Where can people reach out and discover more about Therium is the company, Aristotle is the test, correct? Exactly. That's our current offering is the Aristotle test, the at-home metabolomic test. We are launching, hopefully in six weeks time, the Ilya which is our at-home microbiome test, which my co-founder will speak hopefully more on later. And it's the most advanced direct-to-consumer microbiome test available on the market. And the same process is applied, the advanced bioinformatic machine learning analysis coupled with digital twinning. The idea is, Freddie, that people are not just their metabolome, just their microbiome, just their genome. Now, if we look at the literature and we look at what percent of variance in health outcomes is explained by each layer of the system's biology hierarchy. We see that the greatest variance is explained by the metabolome. The metabolome is the quickest to reflect. It is the easiest to use for prediction modeling. It is the easiest to use for health trajectory engineering. When, as we go up in the hierarchy, those levels allow us to resolve 
with better clarity, the results we're seeing in the metabolism. Just like if you've gone to the eye doctor for a pair of prescriptions, right? Does one look better or two? Two look better or three? It's exactly how we're doing. We would start with a metabolomics panel. If we needed clarity, we can go up or down and choose which systems to integrate. And it's only, Freddie, when we integrate these various layers of systems biology, when we essentially map each person's central dogma of their biology, is when we will start reaching you know, critical insights. Yeah, it's very exciting to me. And again, I'm excited to remove some of my bias and learn more about my body and why it's doing what it's doing. Sure. This is the Beautifully Broken Podcast. We are going to close it up. I'm with Dr. Panice Jaspi. Luckily, we are live in Austin, Texas for, we'll call it part 1B, and we'll be back when I get my Aristotle test results. And we, we might look at it live. So big love, guys. Thanks awesome. for having me, Freddie. Yeah, man. Ladies and gentlemen, biologicalmedicine.org. Don't go there yet. I have a question for you. Are you tired of standing around in this deep knowing that our healthcare system is broken, but we never do anything about it? Well, biological medicine for practitioners is the ultimate hybrid online and in-person certification course designed to help you integrate biological medicine or biomed into your practice. So unlike traditional medicine that often focuses on treating symptoms, biomed treats the whole body, addressing root cause of illness through three pillars, that is detoxification and drainage, nutrition, and immune building. This approach is truly patient-centered and yields exceptional results. So in this comprehensive course, you will apply foundational knowledge and hands-on experience with the latest diagnostic technologies and therapies, including bioelectrical impedance analysis, heart rate variability testing, pulse electromagnetic field. I know this sounds like it was created just for Freddie, but this is your chance to become a pioneer in the field of biomed. This is for healthcare and wellness professionals, all the way from doctors to personal trainers. I want you to go to biologicalmedicine.org and look for the enroll now button. And if you use code beautifully broken, you will receive the intro to biological medicine for free. That's a $200 value. Friends, let's go do this. This is our time to seize the day. Join the biomed and help create a real paradigm shift and the way we deliver results for our patients. Let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and please leave us a review. Five stars if you loved it. And before you leave, there is one big way you can continue the learning and the deepening of this relationship we started in this very episode. You can go to beautifullybroken.world and check out our brand new website store. Listed are all the wellness technologies, the supplements, the educational courses that I love and I personally use. Most of them offer significant discounts just by using the link or the discount code, which is normally beautifully broken. And they do support the podcast through affiliations. Now we have a brand new feature. If you want to see the beautiful faces of our guests and watch me unbox and review products, you can head over to our new YouTube channel. 
beautifully broken world. I do have to tell you our OnlyFans page is under construction, so stand by for that. This last announcement is from my vast team of internet lawyers. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only. By listening, you agree not to use the information found here as medical advice to treat any medical condition in yourself or others, and you're always going to consult your physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My closing, the world is shifting. We need you at your very best. So please take the steps to always be upgrading. Remember, while life can be painful, putting the pieces back together is a beautiful process. I love you. I'm your host, Freddie Kimmel. Big love.